OCI is the single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash wallstreet. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, markets around the world soaring on the latest Brexit polls. And we have a little tiny peek into the high stakes and sometimes very personal and very bitter world of mergers and acquisitions. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio. And our our dear friend, Charles Farrell, is on the phone from London. Charles, how are you? I'm well. How are you guys? We're, uh, we're good. We're okay. And the reason we wanted to have Charles on today, folks, is because what we want to talk about is what a lot of you probably noticed in the market when you got up and checked your phone. And of course, the first thing you do is you go to the futures market and see where things are trading, right? Isn't that, that what you do, grocer, first thing in the morning? Yeah, actually, actually yes, it is. <laughs> it really is kind of sad. Uh, and so you wake up this morning and you look at the futures and you see S&P futures up 27 points. And you're saying to yourself, all right. Something clearly big happened. And what happened, Charles Farrell, were polls over the weekend showing that the Brexit vote is not so uh, so cut and dried, is it? No, no, indeed. So the, there had been a, a pretty dour mood in the markets pretty much from the beginning of June through uh, last weekend, in which most people thought that the votes were swinging towards leave in the British referendum, which comes up on Thursday, in case anybody's forgotten. Um, and <laughs> no, nobody was, has. Nobody has, thank goodness. Uh, and so these two polls, are, there were two polls over the weekend that showed modest, modest edges for Remain, um, you know, one, one or two percentage points. But it was really enough to light a fire under a lot of investors who have really, I think, in the back of their minds been thinking, you know, this is the way it's supposed to go. It's probably going to go this way. I'm not sure I believe the other polls. There might be a late swing. And in a sense, this kind of validated what a lot of people, I think, were thinking. And so markets just went wild. I mean, we, we saw uh, broad indexes in Europe of 3.5%, pound at its best day since 2009. Um, it's just been a big, big day of green all across the board. I mean, the pound's up almost like well, you know 4%, 4% since from last, last Thursday, right, right, right. which is yeah. a, a pretty sizable move. Yeah. Well, I think... It, in, in my mind, what you see is a situation now, at least looking at it from the perspective of U.S. equities, right, where traders were trying to catch up to the the changing tides of the Brexit vote, right? You saw all that selling last week. You saw the, the implied volatility attract the VIX. You saw the implied volatility go flying up. You could see people were trying to reposition themselves with this idea in mind of, oh, my God, the U.K. might actually vote to leave the European Union. So I think you had a lot of people betting in that direction. Then these polls come out over the weekend. And once again, you're scrambling to catch up with the latest. So the, the question really, Charles, is it's Monday. We have, yeah, we have about it. at about least it three more full days of this because the voting's on Thursday. And that's, that's, right. that's if we know by Friday definitively what the vote is, right? That's right. I mean, we, we should know. Just I, I can probably ease your, ease your minds on, on the, that last point. By the time you guys wake up in the U.S. on Friday, it almost certainly will have been resolved. It will. Barring some kind of, you know, Florida hanging Chad situation. Um, right. But w- w- this should really be an overnight um, UK time thing. 
We should know on Friday, but but we are going to have a lot going on tomorrow. In fact, tomorrow, today, there's some more polls coming out later on Monday, um, all the way through midnight here. There will be polls on Tuesday, polls on Wednesday. Um, you're not allowed to publish anything on Thursday, thank God. Wow. Uh, but we definitely have two days where the, the moves could be pretty sizable, um, and particularly if the 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 remain lead um, is only a temporary blip and it goes back to the to the heavy leave um, uh, polling sure. that we'd seen prior. You could see a big correction in sterling and in stocks. Why do you think the markets are so sensitive to the polling at this point, especially given the recent history of polling in elections being fairly well off? Well, you know, this is a this is a uh, one of those rare situations where, at least in one market, in 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 sterling, if you look at um, options data, if you look at positioning data, it's pretty clear that most people think that there's a clear outcome here. That clearly, that sterling is going to fall if there's a leave vote, um, and and rise a little bit if there's a remain vote. And so, if you are if you are making bets based on that, um, every little bit of information is a very important piece of information. And, uh, you know, the polls may not be perfect, um, but they're something. Uh, and frankly, they're probably the only thing that most people have at this point. Uh, Charles, let me just ask you, your perspective, you know, you're there, you're in London, you've been following this. Car- what, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, man, what a, what a tough question. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'll, let me throw out a couple of caveats and to try to wriggle my way out of this one. Um, first caveat is that I, I am in London, which is not representative of the entire country. Um, the, the second caveat is that things are actually, I think, incredibly fluid. You know, in, in a lot of cases, the, the last presidential election in the U.S. is a good example. Frankly, if you go back and look at the polling data, um, it was pretty clear that Obama was going to win um, from a fairly long way out. And the rest of it was just kind of mood music and noise. Um, in this one, it, it really isn't clear. It, it does seem like people's opinions shift. If you look at the underlying questions that people ask in these polls, things about, you know, is your vote influenced by the economy? What do you think is the most important? Their views are shifting. There are a lot of people who haven't made up their minds. Um, I think what we saw last week was quite genuine, that um, there was a predominance of people who uh, who were for leaving. Uh, I do get the sense, again, this is just a sense, I do get the sense that things have shifted um, over the last couple of days. But... Again, I don't know. It could shift. It could shift in the coming hours. Yeah. One of the questions too is, you know, after the vote, a lot of people have sort of been raising this point, is that like the negotiating how to sort of separate, negotiating, you know, how the, um, you know, the UK is going to interact with the rest of the, uh, Europe and trade agreements and things like that. What you could end up with is something that looks very similar to being part of the EU. How how much of that you know is the market taking into account that this is going to go on for years? I think that I think a lot of that is probably being discounted because in the long run it's it's really unknowable what happens and in any case the long run is so far away. It's two years once they start the negotiating clock. They don't have to start the negotiating clock on Friday. This could be the kind of thing that you know my kids are talking about Um, (laughs) many 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 years in the future. God, I hope not for for their sake. Um, But I I think probably in the short term, there's clearly a quick reaction in sterling. 
Um, and, and I think you'll start to see things play out pretty quickly if there is, this is of course if there is a leave vote. Um, a quick reaction in sterling and then a lot of where the markets end up will depend on how deep that fall is, what the Bank of England does or doesn't do. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of, in the case of a leave vote, I think there's going to be a lot of movement um, in the early days. It might ultimately settle out that after six weeks or a month or two weeks that investors think, you know what, we're probably going to end up back in a situation quite like where we are, but we're not going to know that on Friday. So there will be substantial uncertainty and substantial movement. So, so here's another question for you. Are you bringing a, another shirt and a razor to the office for the next couple of days, well, ordering well, happen- pizzas? Are you guys, like, are you guys <laughs> doing a siege thing here? Happily, News Corp, um, in its infinite generosity, provides lovely hot showers in the basement of our building, wow. um, and wow. I, I plan to uh, I plan to come in with a full couple of wardrobes. Um, you do. So you plan to basically just be there. Yeah, this is a, this is a camping uh, event. I don't really like to camp, but if I'm going to camp anywhere, <laughs> it might as well be on the seventh floor of uh, One London Bridge Street. Yeah. Now the other the other I think sort of question is. Brexit has taken over the markets. I mean, it is what is driving the markets. You see this in, you know, strategist note after strategist note. But there are a lot of worrying things going on, you know, in the global economy besides this. Even if they vote, um, you know, to stay, to remain in Europe, how, how you have to think that the relief rally can't last that long, that like people are going to wake up to the reality of the global economy. I think that's probably I think that's probably true. I I am surprised at how much the rest of uh, the rest of the world is um, is affected by this. Um, and as we're speaking, the pound has just plummeted. Um, there maybe there's some another poll coming out. Wow. Um, I am I am amazed at how much the rest of the world is reacting, particularly in things like equities. Um, that really tells you that what is happening is people are interpreting this as a global growth story. People are, uh, are interpreting this as a sort of thing that could derail what is frankly a pretty fragile uh, exactly. economic situation. Europe has just managed to kind of get back to a place where it's growing a little bit, but it's been years, man. It's been a long time um, in Europe since things were, were definitely on the up, and if this derails it, um, you know, it could be bad either way, frankly. Wow. All right. Let's got to wrap it yep. there. Got to let Charles uh, – g- g- yeah. guy's got to get a few minutes of free time before the, he has to get back the, the to pound, The pound just fell from 146, 147 to 146 in the space oh, wow. of about two seconds there. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, we'll let you hop on that. Uh, we thank time. you for the time, Charles. Right. Yeah, yeah. And great job. You guys are doing a really great job. Thanks. See you guys right. later. Yep, See you talk later. Talk to you soon. We will return right after this message. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. Just want to remind you folks out there, for more great podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And you can become a, become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and look for us on the Google Play Music app on your Android devices. And we have a really interesting story for you now. Uh, you should probably, like, 
Listen to this podcast and read this really interesting story about Frank Quattrone. If you remember that name, uh, you know what we're talking about. Good story in the journal from Liz Hoffman and Maureen Farrell. And uh, th- those two great reporters were not available, so we, we had to scramble and get uh, – Somebody who's the B team, Plan B, B Plan yeah. B, definite Plan B. And by no. the way, you've got you've got Charles Just, on the brain because it's Maureen Farrell. Not Far- right, right, right. Not, that's right. Uh, you think you think sitting next to her for, yeah, for how exactly. long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, Maureen. Anyhow, uh, Maureen and Liz wrote a great story, but they weren't here, so we had to get somebody who wasn't nearly as qualified, but but who was available, Dana Simaluka. Uh, Dana, just just kidding, Dana. No, Dana's a player. I mean, Dana we all know that. Right. He's the big global deals editor. He is. It was hard to get him here because yeah. he's so busy. I don't, I don't know why I come to sing. I always get insulted for being late, for being on the yeah, yeah, Hey, I, 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 I didn't yeah. say a word about you being late. If his mom's listening, this is the latest he's been. <laughs> right. And we didn't. you brought it up. We didn't even bring all it up. All right, all right, all right. Uh, anyhow, Dana, this really actually is a very interesting story. I think a lot of people are probably surprised to even hear Frank Quattrone's name. Anymore. I mean, it's great that we also, you get like just the inside of the deal making. You know, you rarely get that view. Exactly. Um, this was wonderful. Yeah. How did this story come about? Well, okay. Um, the you know we Maureen did a uh, did a story that ran on the front page of the print edition back in December, which um, kind of did a couple things. One is it kind of recapped Frank Quattrone's fascinating career, and uh, which I'll get back to in a second. And it also um, you know went into detail on this great anecdote, which illustrates that for all the success that he's had, there is some controversy surrounding him. Now back to his career, just for a quick second. This this guy was very successful in the '90s in the dot com boom. He shepherded a lot of important tech companies into the public domain. And then, if you remember, he had this legal issue where he was accused of obstructing justice. He got convicted. He was, mm-hmm. I believe, close to going to jail for 18 months or something like that. Then the conviction was overturned. Okay, um, that whole episode, as you can imagine, you know, sort of brought to a halt his his momentum in his career to an extent. Anyway, then he resurfaces and has this remarkable second act where he founds this boutique advisory firm and catches another wave, this time of tech M&A. And he's done a phenomenal job. And a lot of those were the companies that he had sort of taken public during the dot-com boom. Yeah, great sure. point. Was he was on selling you know, back in the sort of 2009 era. Exactly. Great 2010. point. 2010. And, you know, most recently, this is underscored by the role he played advising LinkedIn on its huge sale to Microsoft. That's a very coveted role that right. a lot of people, bankers, salivated over at much bigger banks. And yet they and a few others won that. Third then, biggest tech deal of all time, right? Yeah, huge. And then if you look at the league tables, punching way above their weight. Only huge guys like Morgan. And then the name of the firm is, is Catalyst. How do you pronounce it? Catalyst. Catalyst. But it's spelled with a Q. Correct. It's like obviously Quattrum. a riff on Quattrum. Quattrum. Yeah. Right. Anyway, in the league tables, you know, the three only three guys ahead of him right now, and they're all monsters like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan. Anyway, um, but I said there's some controversy. He's obviously some people love him, the people who hire him, but not everybody. At least one person we know does not appear to love him, and that's another very important person in Silicon right. Valley, Meg Whitman. Anyway, in the front page that Maureen did, she went go, went into some detail on this anecdote about the two of them quarreling 
um, over one of Meg Whitman's recent deals when when uh, the company she runs, HP, it's now called HP Enterprise, but it used to be called HP. She bought a company called Aruba. Frank Quattrone shows up advising on the other side. And as a result of that, I won't go too much more into detail, but it becomes clear that Meg is not happy about having to negotiate with Frank. So she effectively sidelines him. Anyway, we went into detail in the, in the, in the story in December. But now, um, through Liz Hoffman's enterprise, she's managed to unearth some emails through a sort of related, sort of unrelated Delaware court case that really bring this episode to light. And that's what today's story is about, just showing it in vivid, like, flat-screen, high-def detail, like Steve said, in a way that we don't normally get to see. Yeah. I mean, it shows the level to which ego can get involved in the in the deal making. What process. a huge role it plays, I mean, and, and personal relationships, yeah. and 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 that you know, now, with it, without you know, without getting carried away, that like these are human beings interacting, and if you just read press releases about deals and dry you know regulatory filings, you miss the human element, and this brings the human element out. Why does Meg Whitman not? Uh, why, why does she not like? I'm trying to say she doesn't like Francotron. Okay, why? What it certainly appears to, that certainly appears to be the case, and it appears. And I'm glad you asked that because it's a crucial part of the story. It appears to well to date back m- many years her animosity maybe toward the firm in general and Frank and people who's close to him. But one of the crucial episodes is a is a seminal deal that HP did. She wasn't running the company at the time; she was actually on the board. But HP bought a British software company back in about 2011 called Autonomy. They played they paid 11 billion dollars, and it it is now clear clearly one of the worst M and A deals in history. And it seems pretty clear that um, Meg Whitman harbors some resentment toward Frank Quattrone, who advised Autonomy, the company that uh, Mm -hmm. HP bought. And that seems to be a big part of the story. Yeah. Um, Now, you know... But, I mean, it has to be more than that. I just... She has... Doesn't she, like, at least partially blame him for kind of... Making the company look making the company look like look, it was worth eleven billion dollars. Let's, let's be super careful. I want yeah. I want words to be chosen carefully here. The, the facts are, um, Quattrone's firm advised Autonomy on Autonomy's sale to HP. The deal was a terrible one for HP. HP. Um, believes that autonomy, or, or believed, I don't know what the current state of play is, but they certainly have indicated in the past that it is their belief that autonomy inflated its results. Right, right. And so, you know, look, a lot of, we don't know everything here, but, you know, you don't have to connect, the dots aren't too far apart for you to connect them. Not necessarily, and I'm certainly not saying that Meg thinks Frank inflated autonomy's results or that he did anything like that. But it's a deal that leaves a very sour taste in mm-hmm. her mouth, and he's close to the company um, that, that they bought in this case. And on some level, it seems that, that she apportions some kind of blame to him for it. But right. you're absolutely right. It, the, 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 there's probably much more to the story. It, it could involve other deals. We mentioned an, another deal um, that you know seems to have also left a sour taste in her mouth. So yeah, it's 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 complicated. I mean, part of the part of what's interesting is in Maureen's piece back in December gets into this. Is he is a controversial figure, and he's known for getting the highest price for his you know for the companies he's advising. I mean, how much of this is also a bit of like sour grapes by you know the people on the other sort of uh, on, on the other side of the bargaining table that he. 
Frank Cratron does a very, very good job for the companies that he's representing and getting the highest price that he can. It's, it's a very fair point. Um, the, the, and then you, you make another point, which probably explains why some people in Silicon Valley might not be enamored, because he does seem to have a knack for getting a big price for his clients. And you're absolutely right. And, 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 and they make this point, and I want to be sure to get Catalyst's side of the story mm-hmm. here. They, in a way, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but they make the point, like, look, shoot us. We do a good job getting our clients a big we're, price. We're all big boys here. Yes. And the other point I do want to make, very clear, on autonomy – the company's founder has vigorously defended its accounting, and the U.K. investigated it and dropped the investigation after, I, I believe, they came to the conclusion that uh, there wasn't enough evidence to go forward. And, but uh, on the other so, hand— So they weren't uh, criminal. They were just a bad company. Well, th- I mean— I mean, they wrote off the value, right? Yeah, they oh, did. Oh, they, almost all of it. Almost all of it. Right, yeah. right. But I mean, you know, HP also HP without <laughs> you also did you know EDS at a very high price that they wrote down. I mean, HP has not had the best history of deal making right. in um, recent years either. Another very good point. So, did although you- to be fair, but to be fair, they've done. I my, my understanding is that they've. They might have been in the penalty box for a while in M&A, but they've come back, and I think Meg actually gets high marks for the job she's recently done. No, yeah, and I'm, and I'm when I say recent, I mean I'm talking probably the last decade. You yeah, know, of course. Go, yep. Going over even longer. I mean, you could go back to Carly and Compact, I mean, for <laughs> a history of bad yeah. deals. All right. Uh, we are going to leave it there. Dana Simaluka, I want to thank you very much for coming in. We always love to have you. Thanks for having me. We do. Uh, For Paul and Stephen, I want to thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you very soon. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.